Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upzoned. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Upzoned, a show where we explore one big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we Upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kenny, an urban planner with Gould Evans in Kansas City, and I'm joined today by our regular co-host and my friend, Chuck Marone. Welcome. I hope that you had a very wonderful and relaxing Thanksgiving weekend with your family. I'm glad to be back at it today. Yeah, thank you. And it was very nice. I hope yours was too. We managed to relax and eat and then eat some more and relax some more. So it was very nice. Same here. We uh, it, it was a different kind of Thanksgiving, but it was definitely very relaxing and just nice to have a long weekend, I guess. <laughs> we, we took a couple very long walks with the dog and uh, that was time well spent. Well, good for the dog. Lucky yeah, he's dog. enjoying it. <laughs> he's He's been pro-quarantine, pro-lockdown. I mean, he's like more family at home. I love this. Have you seen that meme with the dog where it's like, and the we need to have lockdowns forever. Yeah, and uh, the cats are like, America needs to get back to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. My dog is living his best life now. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like me and my dog have become great buddies over the past nine months. Exactly. So, Yeah. I'm glad I have a dog in a time like this. I, if I didn't have one, I'd probably be getting one. <laughs> a lot of people are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the article that we are going to be talking about today was published in Bloomberg City Lab by author Amy Crawford entitled, There's No Room for Teens in the Pandemic City. So now we are nine months into this pandemic and Regular teenage activities have sort of been replaced in much of the country with online learning and social media. Despite being at less risk to contract and carry the virus, closed schools and canceled extracurricular activities are really greatly limiting opportunities for adolescent people to socialize with their peers. According to the article, teens are especially impacted by social isolation, and the simple activity of hanging out with their peers is incredibly important to the development of social skills and even personal identity. The author points out that many cities across the country are just not designed with teenagers in mind. And in fact, our society has previously adopted policies with anti-teen bias, Amenities and parks are largely designed for young children, and many cities really actively discourage teens to loiter in retail centers and public spaces. So I thought this was interesting to think about because we've really shaped our communities in a lot of ways to accommodate a limited set of demographics. Amenities in many places seem either focused on accommodating young families or just adults, and rarely do we see amenities or businesses even focused on accommodating the social needs of teenagers. So, you know, Chuck, I know that you have, I, oh, I yes. believe, at least one teen at <laughs> home, two, if I'm I remember. A, <laughs> I feel like I'm an expert on this topic. Yeah, I have two teenagers. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought this article would resonate with you because you have firsthand experience, and I'm curious if you think your community is designed to accommodate teenagers with with nothing to do now. No, it's horrible. And even before the pandemic, you know, our city 
is hostile to youth, even though we say we're not and we don't want to be. And, you know, we pride ourselves on our kids and we love our kids and we're part of our, you know, they're our future. But if you try to experience life from their perspective, even in my neighborhood, which is very, is the most walk friendly neighborhood in the entire county, I think, that's not saying much. You know, that's grading on a pretty bad curve. The girls hate walking to school. The school's six blocks away. They hate it. And they hate it not because of the social stigma, you know, but their friends all drive. I'll point that out. They hate it because it's a nasty walk. It's not very pleasant. You've got like three blocks of pleasant, and then you've got to cross a highway. You've got to cross through two like empty parking lots. It's not teen friendly. It's a hard subject to talk about because I, I know with my girls and with their friends, there's a, there's a willingness to sacrifice for others. I think that's one of the endearing things about kids is that they can on one hand be very selfish and very, you know, have a very small worldview because their world often is very small. But in that worldview, they're generally very generous people. I mean, they're willing to sacrifice. And I've heard my kids say, you know, they've had friends that have gotten coronavirus. They didn't even know they had it. It went through the dance team that my girls are on. You know, a lot of girls wound up getting it, didn't know they had it. They're not really affected by it for whatever reason. A very, very tiny percentage of, of young people, of teenagers are affected. And the ones that are affected are, are not generally affected that much. And so for them, they've kind of had this thing where like, I am sacrificing for grandma and grandpa. I am sacrificing for, you know, other people so that they can be healthy. And I'm willing to stay home and do my part and not see my friends. I think there's an acknowledgement that other people have greater risk here than they do. I mean, other people are getting very sick. Other people are dying. I think sometimes though, we overlook the deep effect that this is having on them. And I'll just give one story that kind of ties in with this article. My kids are in dance and they're part of the high school dance team. They work year round at this. So they practice all summer. They practice all school year. This is something that they take very seriously and they take the team aspect of it seriously. So their commitment is to their other team members. They both hate school this year because it was hybrid, part at school, part at home. When you're at school, you wear a mask. They've been split up from their friends because their friends are going at different times and different days than them. So like their best friends, they don't get to see. But they were all like waiting, like, okay, if we can just make it to the beginning of dance season, this will all be better. We got to the beginning of dance season. It was delayed for four weeks. That was really traumatic. And they both were really depressed and having a difficult time. We got to the end of that four weeks. Dance was literally scheduled to start the next week. Season was canceled. And it's now been reinstated and they're doing some stuff online and they hope to get back at it in January. But I had like two weeks where my kids were deeply depressed. And I mean, like teenagers lock themselves in the room, kind of depressed is, is normal behavior. I mean, like, I'm just going to sit in a corner and cry because like my world is gone and, and things as I know it are bad. It's hard to be sympathetic when people are dying. It's hard to be sympathetic when people are suffering and, and losing people. And, and, you know, there's a lot of turmoil. It's hard to be sympathetic when people are losing their businesses and their livelihoods. Yet, I think we're kind of heartless if we ignore the fact that 
when we look back at our own lives and our own like happiest moments and our own moments of growth and and joy and tension and and, and personal you know accomplishment, a, a lot of that does center around these teenage years when we're learning who we are, and we are taking a whole generation of people and we are not only setting them back a lot with the way we're doing school right now, but we are we are doing some seriously deep psychological harm to people who are having an experience now that for them is is deeply traumatizing. I, I completely can see how it would be traumatizing. And I know that this is a year where a lot of people are making some pretty big sacrifices, and I'm sure that they have a sense of understanding in that, but it doesn't make up for the fact that teenagers do need to have social interaction. I can't imagine if this were happening 10 years ago when I was in my teens and and I I probably would have been a complete basket case. And now a lot of social media has really migrated online or social interaction has has migrated online for a lot of teenagers. And the article talks a little bit about that and my initial reaction to this is that it could really backfire pretty greatly because staring at screens doesn't really fulfill the fundamental social needs that that we all need quite like people talking to people in person does. And we certainly all know that there's a lot of negative impacts of social media use, and particularly for young people, many of these platforms can be really quite depersonalizing. And because they, they really are offering a warped version of reality. And even as an adult, I myself have, have had to step away from social media this this year because it is just very toxic and and it's it's much more toxic than when discourse happens person to person. So, you know, I, I see a lot of kids are now going to school at least partially online and and a lot of activities are canceled. And it, it is a positive benefit that we have the technological capability of hosting school online and providing social media outlets that can somewhat serve as a temporary alternative to normal social interactions. But with that in mind, I, I hope that during this pandemic, we are not over-relying on technology as a stand-in for much-needed social interaction for adolescents and even adults, too. I, I remember when this pandemic started and we were introduced to the concept of social distancing, which over time kind of transformed into physical distancing because of the really detrimental impacts of prolonged social isolation. Well, we're social species, and you know, teenagers are at that point in their lives when that aspect of them is is kind of at its peak, right? It's funny because I've watched them carve out a, a little bit of, you know, socialness in, in this void of, of social interaction. Uh, one of the things yesterday was hilarious. You've been in a Zoom meeting where someone glitches and like their, their screen freezes and they have like a yeah. weird pose on their face. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, my kids have a name for that now. And so, you know, I'm sure that could be used in bullying, but they good nature rib their friends. They're like, yeah, you just, and then they have a name for it. And I can't remember what their name is. You know, you just froze up and they'll screenshot them and show them like their yeah. goofy face. 
Yeah. We, we actually do that um, within our planning studio. I yeah. have a whole folder of, of saved screenshots. Yeah. So, so, you know, I watch them like create something out of this, this stress. I also watch them too. You know, they need part of being a teenager is learning stuff. It is learning how to deal with your strong emotions, to be able to operate in a social space where you're not sure of your next step and you're not sure how you fit in. A lot of that is part of what being a teenager is. And, and they're being robbed of that. They really are. I don't know what the long-term consequences will be. I will say one of the things that's been the most disturbing here in my city is that we've always had groups of at-risk kids. There's a place here in town called The Shop, which I think is beautiful and delightful, but they couldn't get a permit to have a youth center. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. The city wouldn't give them a permit because it wasn't a permitted use. And so they were smart people. They went in and they said, well, what is permitted uses? And they're like, well, a retail shop is one. And so they're like, okay, we call ourselves the shop and we sell a soda pop, you know, we sell pop cans. And then, you know, people can come in and hang out and play games and do youth center stuff, but then we'll, we'll also sell pop. And, you know, they're like, well, okay, I guess. And so they got a permit and they have this place. It is for at-risk kids, for kids that are having trouble fitting in. But one of the things that has happened is that, you know, it's created a little bit of animosity in the community. And sometimes these kids will leave as a group, uh, maybe, you know, four of them, maybe six of them, maybe more. And they'll walk over to the park and they'll sit in the park. It's delightful. It's beautiful. It's, it's like exactly what a park should be and exactly what you should want them to do. But it's a generational thing. Some of the older people are like, oh, they're not social distancing. They're not, you know, doing the proper thing. They're, uh, you know, doing kids stuff. And they've actually gone so far as to, you know, call the police and set up kind of a police routine for doing this. We had a little meeting and I kind of nudged everybody to, you know, what we should do is like ask these youth to help us do some art projects here in the park and do some, you know, other things to engage them out here and get them taking ownership of this place. It's sad because I think our reaction should be to be, first of all, grateful to youth that are sacrificing for older people. And then second of all, a little bit like lean into trying to find ways for them to to do things like gather in a park, you know, it, which is a safer place than gathering in a someone's basement or what have you. And it, it seems like we're having a difficult time doing that. And I wish that, I wish that were not the case. Yeah. Well, the article talks about that where we have this kind of anti-teen bias in our public spaces and really what adolescents are are kind of set up to do is structured activities that are typically managed through schools. And at this point, when those are closed and those activities are no longer offered in a lot of instances, it's very difficult for teenagers to have other options available to them. And I think that we really take for granted what an important role our schools play in affording structured activities for adolescents who are too young to work, but too old to really play on like a playground. And there's that question about what a teenage friendly city would actually look like. And I think that this means providing opportunities beyond structured activities provided by schools I think schools do a really great job at supporting things like team sports and, and other things of that nature. But we often forget about 
sort of unstructured activities that would be a positive alternative in times like these. The, the article talks about the importance of places like skate parks, which makes a lot of sense to me because it provides a really physically interesting space to hang out in. And it also accommodates a more unstructured and contactless activity. And you don't necessarily need to be actively participating in the activity to occupy the space. At least in my city, I've noticed that skate parks have been a really popular place of refuge for young people. And I think even rock climbing is similar in that way where people can actually actually watch each other, participate, spend time outside. And it's kind of a, a minimal amount of equipment and resources you need to participate in an activity like that. The only other alternative that I can think of as well from when I was a kid <laughs> are retail spaces. You know, when, when I was reading this article, it unearthed memories for me of when I was a teenager and really the lack of things to do outside structured school-related activities, particularly in the summertime. You know, we would hang out at the mall if we could get a ride or we would go to the town center if we had a couple of dollars to spend. And it's interesting to think about how commercial spaces, places like the mall or a town center, provide a space for us to hang out when school is not in session. And it, it's compensated for the lack of teen-friendly public space in so many of our communities. And now those kind of routine opportunities to socialize with friends outside of your home are no longer available in addition to formal school-sanctioned activities that are being canceled. And and we're really relying on public spaces where ad adolescents can actually hang out, which are just really not designed for them. Right. This month is my 25th wedding anniversary. My wife and I have been married 25 years. Um, before we were married, we dated for seven, eight years because we started dating in junior high. Like we were 15 years old when we started going to movies and hanging out and going to school dances and all that kind of stuff together. I feel like there's a big part of, you know, that kind of growing up and that kind of, you know, learning who you are and discovering things. Years ago, I, I think it was Andres Duhani who said this. He's like, you know, when you think about youth in public spaces, you basically have to understand that, you know, they simply want a place where they can go and find people to swap DNA with. And, you know, even though I hope my kids, my kids are a little too young for some of that, you know, but, but I think of where I was when I was 15 and 16. And yeah, you're looking for someone to, you know, hang out with and, uh, experiment with and figure things out. As a parent now, you want that to be someplace that is safe and someplace that is, you know, looked after. A park, a public space. I mean, these are the ideal places where we want people at. This is, this is the kind of place where we want youth to be. The idea that they would be locked in their room by themselves, interacting with people on social media, which I'll just say before the whole pandemic, the idea of Instagram with a 13 year old, 14 year old girl is like the most toxic environment there is. You know, how many, yeah, how not many, good. Oh, uh, how many likes does my selfie get compared to the other person's, you know, selfie? You know, what thing can I do to generate more likes? And you can just see how it encourages really antisocial behavior that while it's not bullying, I mean, they become really good at not bullying the subtext of it is really kind of almost the worst of bullying. 
So you you got that option, or you've got you know option number two, which is you know go find a place to hang out out of the public eye with your friends. And you know my kids have gotten very frustrated because there's some kids that they're friends with that their parents are not you know for whatever reason, and I don't know the details, and they don't know the details, and I keep reminding them not to be too judgy, but you know, here's two friends from their school who are hanging out and having a slumber party. And they're like, why can't we do this? So what would you rather have? And to me, if you look at the options, what we'd rather have is our, our youth out engaging with society in a place that is very open and in a place where, you know, yes, they will make mistakes and they will do dumb things and they will vandalize a bathroom, you know, which is a little bit of what happened here in my hometown. But they'll also, you know, do a lot of beautiful stuff. And if we engage them and invite them and help them be owners of that place and give them a reason to to love it, the youth in my city and I think the youth everywhere uh, are capable of doing some amazing things. And if they're not, we're screwed. So, you know, why would we <laughs> why would we assume that they're not? Right. Right. Exactly. Well, that I think is all we have time for today. But before we conclude, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show where we can share anything that we have been up to or anything that's been captivating our attention this week. So I'm curious what you have been up to, Chuck. Well, it's cookie baking season. So I've started the, (laughs) the, the serious baking I save my fiction books for the end of the year and I listen to fiction while I'm baking. So this week I actually listened to two fiction books. I listened to a Vince Flynn book, which Vince Flynn has unfortunately passed away. It was written by a guy named Kyle Mills, but it uses Vince Flynn's characters and everything. It was really good. It was published, I think, a few months back called Total Power. And then there's a Daniel Silva book. These are both fiction like... Vince Flynn is a spy kind of novel and Daniel Silva is a, is a spy kind of novel. The new one's called The Order and it's, uh, you know, it follows a genre that Daniel Silva does annually really well and I buy them all and I, I listen to them uh, at Christmas time while I'm making cookies and it, it makes my December very delightful. Yeah, that does sound very, very delightful. So I haven't started my gingerbread house yet, but I plan to get the ingredients for it this weekend. So I'm kind of excited about that. Now that it is getting a little bit colder outside, I've started frequenting my gym more, which is actually, it's a climbing gym. So um, I don't know if you know anything about climbing gyms, but but the one I go to is ropeless climbing called bouldering. So I, I've been up there a lot this week, just trying to get out of the house for the most part. And um, I started doing some weightlifting exercises. So I feel super strong now, which oh, is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. So I actually started a book as well that Joe Minicozzi recommended to me a long time ago called Misbehaving, The Making of Behavioral <laughs> Economics <laughs> oh, by yes. Richard Thaler. Richard yes, Thaler. I'm, uh-huh. I'm sure you are familiar with it. He recommended this book to me like who knows how long ago. It was probably like almost two years at this point. And I hadn't read it and I, I remembered it just the other day. So I decided to download it and it's very good. The The premise for, for anybody who hasn't heard of this book is basically about exploring the way that people behave in real life markets as opposed to how economists assume people would behave. So the book talks about 
how people uh, deviate from standards of rationality that many economic models would assume and what consequences that deviation causes. So it, it's a very fascinating book and it's very light, lighthearted and well-written. So it's a great I'm, book. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The book Nudge, which is like a follow-up, not my favorite. It's kind of like um, there were some interesting insights there, but uh, not, yeah, I, I was not as enthusiastic about it as this one. This one's a really good book, though. I'd recommend it for everybody. Yeah, I hadn't heard about Nudge, but this one I, I think is very good and it's really, really easy. I mean, of course, I'm listening to it, not reading it, but I'm finding it really easy to, to get through. Uh, yeah. rather quick quickly so it's it's pretty pretty light pretty e easy to understand i think that he explains things very well uh, my understanding is that he is a professor so that's probably why so i told you we got netflix right for the first time um, yeah did you so. i actually <laughs> i recommended that you watch queen's gambit last week and that it was family friendly and then i thought about it and i'm like oh no <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, the the one that my oldest daughter has wanted Netflix for a long time is to watch Stranger Things. And she has seen Ooh. it with her friends. So she's seen them all, but she she wanted to watch it and she wanted to watch it with dad. So I have been, I think we did three episodes now. She's got to finish her homework and I've got to you know finish my work. But we've been meeting at like 9.30, 10 at night and watching an episode. Uh, we did three times this week and it's, it's fun to do things with her like that. I think she forgot in the earliest episodes how much teenage like making out there is. Because uh, you know how when you're a teenage girl, you're like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing to be in a room yeah. with my dad when like people are so kissing. So awkward. Yeah. yeah. And so I've kind of, uh, you know, leaned into that and been like, oh my gosh, you know, because <laughs> I'm a dad, I got to do those things. But, yeah, but it's been fun. We've had a good time, and I'm looking forward to another episode tonight. So it's, it looks like I'm going to be watching three years of uh, of uh, Stranger Things before I get to uh, to the other ones, but they're on my list. Yeah, Stranger Things is awesome. I loved that show, and I think for the most part that that one is family friendly. Yeah, if you do watch Queen's Gambit, I I remember that there are some elements that you might want to look into before watching. I don't remember how old your kids are, but but it might be good to wait. I think you I think you messaged me this. So I was gonna tell you that like we watched it and my wife and I, you know, I told my wife that my Abby had recommended this and we were like, oh look and we sat down as a family. Oh, no. And then my wife is like appalled, like, you know, Abby recommended this. So no, but none of that happened. That would have just been a funny story. Good. <laughs> Good. I know that would have been a funny story, but not for me. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to my advice. I'm not, I, I don't know what I'm talking about with stuff like that. So <laughs> it's good. I, I think, I think everything is like PG and then I, until, until I recommend it and I'm like, wait a second, that wasn't appropriate. Look, I'm a dad and I've sat down with my kids to watch way too many things. And my wife is like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, well, thanks for taking the time today to chat with me, Chuck. And yeah, thanks, Abby. thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Upzoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Chuck. Take care. Let me show you what I'm about to do.